0: Hello, everybody. Victor here from Need Some Introduction. So as you may have noticed, anyone who still is subscribing to this feed, that we've been gone for quite some time now. Before I get into a little explanation as to what's been going on and what that might mean to the podcast going forward, I did want to mention the fact that I will be talking with Sona about a new FX Hulu series, A Murder at the End of the World. So pretty traditional, we're covering a series of television, probably week to week. And the return of this show, in a way, has brought me back to doing this podcast. Back in August, when we had finished wrapping up Hijack, this series was originally planned to air towards the end of August, and it was the next the next series that I had planned to discuss here on the show. And then the writer's strike dragged on, and the actor strike continued, and seems to be finally nearing resolution. And once that was delayed and I couldn't think of the next thing to cover, I was planning on covering movies and other topics that I have interest in, but really couldn't find the time and the motivation to come up with a new topic for coverage. And other things came up as well. I had a hip replacement. I'm recovering fine, by the way, and I'm not 90 years old, just happened to have a very bad hip. But that wasn't the reason I wasn't publishing. Honestly, I had a lot of time off with my hip replacement and was actually binging shows I had missed out on, was watching movies that I hadn't caught up on in this past year. And that actually became part of the issue I was having in what this show had become, where I was pursuing shows that I wasn't necessarily interested in. I was just trying to guess at what might be popular in the near future and really moving away from what my original intention was here on the podcast, which was to create some evergreen material that I could review or share with friends and family, talking about movies and series and music that I think was classic or oftentimes forgotten, but should have further appraisal. And that was really the spirit of my recommendations. And remains that, that I love to re-explore and then introduce people to things that I was and am passionate about that don't get that kind of coverage. So almost as an excuse to cover the popular thing, but then discuss these additional things. And really, this series, this podcast had moved further and further away from that. As I mentioned, just trying to guess at what the next thing might be that might be popular and get some listeners. So I was thinking about all this and- Primarily thinking about it because there were things that I was catching up on and reviewing and really enjoying without thinking about how do I turn this into content. And all of these things made the idea of coming back to the podcast a little difficult. All that is to say is that I am interested in seeing this particular series, the one we'll be covering here. So we will be discovering it here on the podcast. But along with that, I will be pursuing these other topics, making even more recommendations than I did in the past, and oftentimes maybe doing deeper dives into topics, films that I think are classic or should have more attention than they do now, and discussing them in greater detail. And oftentimes pairing them up with movies or TV series that are in popular conversation at that time. So it's a work in progress and I will outline some of those changes as I figure them out going forward. But for now, pretty traditional format for our show. We'll be breaking down this particular season of television, which will run for seven episodes, I believe, right up until Christmas. And then in the new year, we'll see what the format of the show looks like. There is a lot of stuff to cover from a TV standpoint, but once again, I don't think I'm going to be sometimes dedicating 10 weeks for a show that I end up not liking in the end. So we'll see the formatting in the future, maybe recommendations and then check-ins, and then coming back for final analysis at the end of a series. A lot of the things I caught up on, I will probably be discussing here in greater detail One of the series that I binged during my rehabilitation was For All Mankind, which was a recommendation from one of our listeners, and I really did enjoy it. And I had an interesting experience with it, where oftentimes I was irritated with the soap opera machinations of the plot, and then yet when everything clicked into place, usually towards the end of each one of these seasons, it really paid off because even the shorthand soap opera machinations of the character interactions had pulled me in, and strangely maybe made it more bingeable because of its flaws. So I do think that's an interesting thing to explore. And by the way, the new season has just begun. I've not caught up on it yet, but do definitely plan to. So there's one thing that I'll probably be discussing in the somewhat near future. But I do have two things that I do not think enough people are watching that I did catch up on during my rehabilitation that I really am just so over the moon, so impressed with how excellent these two products were. Both on HBO Max, by the way, or Max, I guess it is now. The first one is 100 Foot Wave. This is a docu-series about a somewhat over-the-hill surfer, Garrett McNamara, who relatively late in his career discovers a new surfing locale off the coast of Portugal, Nazare, Portugal, and basically turns it into a competitive location for surfing where the waves are so tall, not quite 100 feet, but it's this search he has for this impossible 100-foot wave. This series is so fulfilling in so many ways. You can watch with the whole family. There are occasional swear words, but aside from that, something you can watch with your kids, even younger children. My daughter's only eight years old. She loves this show. The characters are so well-realized. You really get to know these people so intimately. You see their backstories, but also the way the film is made. The visuals, especially in season two, where they had a budget upgrade with the HBO purchase, are absolutely stunning. You could just keep this running in the background on a nice high quality television, Just for the visuals, but it's more fulfilling than that because it's not just this kind of pleasant scenery to watch. There's so much drama in these people risking their lives, and they all come with troubled backgrounds. You can imagine becoming very proficient at a sport that could potentially kill you. You have a lot of people with complicated backstories, their biographies are so diverse, and yet they are all drawn to this particular thing. So I love this kind of exploration of passion and the things that drive people to pursue sports, to try to excel even when it can destroy them. And then as these people become older, you see them age over time. This series, this archive footage from the first season covers over 10 years. And you see these people who are very young when they begin, and now they have families and they have responsibilities and they have bills to pay. They have tried to settle down. This is their livelihood. So now it's become a job And in a lot of ways, it's almost a metaphor for the gig economy and how you have to kind of just hustle all the time to make this thing work out. So it's all these things at the same time. I'm also Portuguese, so I love seeing this beautiful locale and also exploring this actual culture of this coastal town that now is a tourist destination for people all over the world and how it has transformed that culture and that population as well. I have this philosophy in general that if you look at one thing really, really, really closely and explore it really deeply that you can kind of understand the world in a different way from just exploring one thing and just digging deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think this is a perfect example of it. And I mean, this is truly a remarkable, remarkable show. And I would recommend it to everybody. Like This is like unqualified recommendation to anybody out there. So check that out. Once again, 100 foot wave. It is coming back for season three. There was a tragedy last year during the shooting of the show. Oh, back to season two. Fascinatingly, It, of course, bumps into COVID and you see how it impacts these people and also becomes kind of a metaphor for how we all dealt with COVID at the time and the strains it put on this new economy that was building up around this very popular event. So a fascinating look at a different view of what happened, COVID and the disruptions it caused and the positives of it as well as the family expanded within the show itself. But do catch up on this at any time before season three comes back, which I think is coming back early next year, probably around February or March. Check this out. This is a truly great work of documentary and exploration of, of self-discovery and self-definition in a way of like defining yourself through your activities. So it's really an incredible piece of filmmaking in general and uh, highly recommended. I mean, my highest recommendation, do check this out. Also on HBO Max, just wrapped up recently, very, very highly recommended, a truly astonishing, surprising, unexpected, recent series. Recommended to really anybody, but I know some people have blockers around animation. This is an animated show. Some people have blockers around science fiction, and this show is both of those. And I would say, even if you have your particular qualms in those regards, please do check this out. This is a, an incredible achie- achievement as well. This show is called Scavenger's Rain. I do not know if this show has been renewed for season two. Anecdotally, it seems to be getting a lot of buzz and a lot of positive reaction. So I would assume that there will be a renewal. And this is, as I mentioned, a science fiction and animated series, 2D animation. And it's about a crew of a freighter that crash lands on a planet. This is sometime in the future. And the few people who escaped the freighter itself onto the planet have land in, landed in diverse areas. And it's just how they are trying to survive the planet surface. And the story drags on its 12 episodes Um, They're all short, maybe 20 minutes each, so pretty quick binge if you want to catch up on it. For me, maybe the finale of the show is the least successful. By the way, not because it's bad, but just because it's conventional, because everything until then is absolutely unconventional and surprising and just so stunning. But basically what the show explores is how these people stuck in this completely foreign and impossible situation are constantly improvising, constantly engineering, and it's in a way, as grim and grotesque, oftentimes beautifully grotesque, by the way. This is kind of like nature horror, like I would analogize it to Annihilation, the film, where you see that nature is, in a way, consuming these people as they try to survive on the planet's surface. But in a way, it's incredibly uplifting in the fact that these people with their wits and creativity are actually able to survive. But there's even more going on. It's this exploration of how yes, scavengers reign, as the title says here, but that there is some kind of balance where the characters and the species that we see on the planet that are successfully thriving are cohabitating one with the other. And there's this balance that's being explored in the show. And I believe will be explored also these ideas of power balance as well, if this show gets a second season, which I highly hope it does. Anyway, Once again, just watch it. It is completely surreal, completely mind-bending, absolutely beautiful to look at, often grotesque, but in the most fascinating ways, this natural world that these people are trying to live within. The rules of it seem to be very well described, the symbiosis of these different characters and these different species, I should say. It's truly fascinating. I don't even want to spoil it. Any plot description would sound absolutely bizarre, but trust me, it works really, really well in the context of the show itself. This was based on a short film, I think from a few years ago, and now some five or six years later expanded to this series here on HBO. And once again, I do hope if I can encourage anybody to watch this and the ratings are strong enough, they'll make another season of it. It does, by the way, if you're worried, well, I don't want to watch it if it's not going to get renewed. Trust me, it has a very satisfying ending. It can be the end of the season, I should say, apologies, the end of the show itself, but also sets up a potential season two. And I would love to see this world and these characters and their relationships explored more fully in another season. So check that out. Once again, Scavenger's Reign on Max. Okay. With this out of the way, I also started watching the new season of Fargo on FX. Many, many comments I have (laughs) uh, about that show. Equally fascinating, exciting, thrilling, and absolutely frustrating. Many times I feel like turning the show off just in the few, few episodes I've seen of it so far. So I will save that, my commentary and my very conflicted opinions on that new season of the show for another episode but I will definitely be watching that going forward as well so expect to hear comments about that I'll be discussing the killer the new the new David Fincher movie on Netflix which I found but utterly fascinating if perhaps initially disappointing so all things I will explore in short upcoming episodes but for now let's get into my conversation with Sona regarding the first 3 episodes of a murder at the end of the world. All right. Soda, so I'm going to be very rusty here. I haven't done this in a long time. Me too. I am uh, going to put a header on this episode where I'm going to talk a little about what's been going on. Why did, haven't we recorded You know, the strikes ending, right. and uh, but also just stuff that was going on in our lives, etc. <clears throat> and I have some recommendations of things that I watched along the way and I'll save it all for there. But since we're talking for- about television. We have talked just this weekend, actually, but since we're talking about television specifically, um, and it doesn't have to be television, it could be any kind of media that you've been consuming in this two, two and a half month break from our conversations. Was there anything that you saw or read or experienced that you would highly like recommend or even modestly recommend to anybody out there?
1: Yes. And it is the Real Housewives of New York and the Real Housewives (laughs) of Salt Lake City.
0: Oh, I do it. I do it.
1: something's never changed
0: <laughs> you've been enjoying this you're like I can watch I... unlimited reality <laughs> TV
1: <laughs> I've really been enjoying them I have to say I <laughs> listen I'm not saying that it's intellectual I'm not saying that it's enriching but it does hold my interest um these ladies are very interesting some interesting things are happening to them and I am happy to be along for the ride
0: I unfortunately cannot I understand. confirm or deny. <laughs> the quality of these shows.
1: <laughs> I understand.
0: But it is good to hear that. I mean, I assume, I mean, I or I should say, I know from my conversations with others that there definitely are up years and bad years uh, on right, these shows. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. So these are better. I, I would take it from what you're describing.
1: Yes. There are definitely some years where you're kind of like, uh, just retreading the same ground again. And why am I doing this to myself? But These two, um, I can't speak to other Real Housewives seasons because I have limited myself to just New York and Salt Lake City, but both of them, very interesting right now.
0: Uh, We'll check in again. Are they near? I don't even know where they are in their cycle. Are they near completion? Are they, where are they at?
1: New York is finished. It might've had a shortened season. I'm not sure about that because they brought in a whole new cast and I think they weren't entirely sure how that was going to land. And I think depending on who you ask, it landed differently, but I enjoyed it. Especially because New York has a South Asian housewife. Oh, interesting. You know, that has a specific appeal to me. And Salt Lake City is going on. I think it's wrapping up in the next few weeks, but apparently something very scandalous is about to happen.
0: Oh, interesting. Let me know when that happens (laughs) and then we can uh, check back in. I will will vicariously enjoy these shows through you.
1: (laughs) I'll do what I can to. Um, whatever is the opposite of dumb it down, um, I'll do what I can to, to make it seem somewhat interesting to you. So I
0: have dragged you kicking and streaming away from the Bravo Network to uh, watch <laughs> <laughs> A Murder at the End of the World. And did you watch all three available episodes? Did you catch I have. Yes. Oh, okay. Very cool. I just watched the third one this morning, actually. Or last night. Now, somehow
1: from the title, At the End of the World, and the previews Mm -hmm. with all the snow, I decided they were going to be in Antarctica. So it was very disappointing for me when they are not, in fact, in Antarctica. But we'll get to that.
0: I actually suspected that as well. This was back when I first saw the trailer, which is like, this thing has been, I literally was looking forward to this a year ago, like last November or December, I think, was when the first stills came out. And I'm like, oh, maybe it's coming out soon. And then they kept delaying it and delaying it. Then it was supposed to come out in the summer. And then the strike hit, and they delayed it all the way till now. So here we are, finally, a year later. And part of the reason that I came back to record this actually was because it was going to kick off like within a week or so of us wrapping up Hijack. So I'm like, oh, great. We'll have like a week off and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. the next show will start. And then, of course, that we had three months of strikes. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, but this was the show I was planning to cover next, so therefore I have kind of sticking to my word, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> okay, so I pitched this to you as the girl with the dragon tattoo meets kind of a straight faced glass onion, mostly because you have all these people meeting on this compound with this billionaire, and uh, there is a hacker who's uh, you know uh, kind of an edgy, kind of antisocial female protagonist. I, 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 it was even more on the money than I suspected, honestly. Maybe let's break it down a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you for your opinion. So to anybody out there who's curious about this show, this uh, show starts Emma Cornyn, who played Princess Di in the fifth season, I believe it was, of The Crown. I think that's what she's most famous for. You also have Clive Owen here, who I think is a little underserved so far in these first three episodes, although he's always a magnetic character, so I'm sure he will have much more to do in the show over time. It's three episodes in now. They had two last week, one this week. I think it's only seven episodes, so almost halfway through this thing. So not a a long investment of time, which is good. And it will be wrapping up right as the Christmas season hits. So nice snowy time, I think, to probably wrap up the show. And we also have Harris Dickinson here, who uh, most uh, notably recently has been in the Academy Award nominated uh, The Triangle of Sadness from last year, and also was in a a movie that probably many more people saw, which was the uh, film adaptation of Where the Crawdads Sing." Mm -hmm. And a bunch of other recognizable people. You have uh, Alice Braga is here. You have Joan Chen, who has like some Twin Peaks vibes here. Uh, They brought her here, I think, intentionally to make us think about Twin Peaks. And looking absolutely incredible at 70 years old. She looks amazing (laughs) for a 70-year-old, I got to say. Not to be ageist, but still. Mm -hmm. And of course, playing Clive Owen's wife is Britt Marling, who uh, writes most of the things that she's in. Most famously, her last project was The OA on Netflix, which is an absolutely batshit crazy show that we have to, I think I'm going to spoil it for you at some point, but anybody out there who, this is one of those strange times. I would highly recommend something that I do not think is good because you will just be jaw on the ground being like, I cannot believe someone made this show (laughs) and it was on for two seasons. It is absolutely one of the craziest things. I've ever seen. And if I describe it to you, you would literally be like, Victor, no, you're, you're joking. I'm like, nope. <laughs> All those things happened on this show. Yes, it did.
1: You know, what's interesting is that exact description would be how I feel about Paw Patrol, but neither here nor there.
0: yes i I, we just watched the paw patrol movie just yesterday i think so uh, right none of it
1: lines up so many plot holes
0: (laughs) oh i have a grand theory about paw patrol by the way (laughs) that there is the tv series that it is a commentary mayor goodwin is like a satirical version of a knee-jerk liberal what's the, the bad mayor's name humdinger mayor humdinger is the stereotypical like uh capitalist pig, mm-hmm, <laughs> who's like, you know, I like, like basically it. purely greed versus like, like totally clueless um, kindness, no matter how many times he like stabs her in the back he she continues to fall for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we digress.
0: We digress. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to have deep reads on some of these kids shows, which are just head scratching like <laughs> bizarre. So, yes. Yeah, so this is um, Brit Marling with her creative partner, Zell. I can't pronounce his last name. bat. Beth. Manglage. Manglish—it's quite a name. Uh, they have worked together really from the beginning, and and I have actually liked their movies. They Sound of my voice, which to anybody out there who's a fan of the OA, it's basically the OA in an hour and a half, which works better for me to be honest. A really interesting film about this uh, people who get indoctrinated into like a terrorist cult group, like kind of like a liberal terrorist cult group called the East. I think the name of the movie was, and uh, these are all interesting projects. They have a lot of shared themes, oftentimes like developing cults around ideology. Mm -hmm. So they have these kind of interesting points of reference. I do enjoy their work in general, but flabbergasted, like totally head-scratchingly dumbfounded by the OA as a project. (laughs) But this, I think so far has been much, much more successful uh, for me. I like it. (laughs) So you're enjoying it so far? That was my first question to you.
1: I am enjoying it so far. I wonder maybe if the pacing is a little bit off. There are times yes. mm-hmm. that it feels a little bit slow, but yep. mm-hmm. um, it's okay. Maybe also because the only other things I'm really regularly watching right now are Real Housewives shows. It, <laughs> yeah. it feels like a fine investment of my time, even when it's not paced as well as I think it possibly could be.
0: What's interesting about it to me is that I found, for example, the OA, which I just binged recently as kind of prep work for this show. I had not seen it previously, even though it had been recommended to me a few times, but I'd heard such strange things about it. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to like that. I did and didn't at the same time. So fascinating watch. But nonetheless, I found, found like the, all the seasons, all the episodes there to just be way too long. And I was kind of concerned that the episodes here are all over an hour long so far, just but I have to say that I definitely feel oftentimes especially like with Netflix shows this is not a Netflix show it's on FX and Hulu I oftentimes feel the sh- episodes are too long and for some bizarre reason I cannot explain and I could totally understand why you feel the way you do it hasn't bored me like I feel like the the show is always showing me something new and I think the reason I'm not bothered by it here in this particular circumstance is I do like the bifurcated past storyline and current storyline it keeps me like never disinterested, you know what I mean? Like I think it, it that works. I, I don't agree. know if it's gonna pay off because the two stories don't seem to intersect, but I could be wrong about that. So I don't know I if mean, it's gonna pay off, but it keeps me interested.
1: I am assuming that they will intersect at some yeah. point. Otherwise the whole thing I seems so. very strange to me to structure <laughs> so. it this way. But I think part of what's strange to me about the pacing is not in the past storyline, but in the present storyline. Yeah. It just doesn't feel it feels slow. For a bunch of people who are stuck together and yeah. someone mm-hmm. was just killed. Yeah. Right. Like feel- it feels like a strange mood for that situation. <laughs> like the mood of it is not matching the actual scenario to me. True.
0: If I felt this that slowness, uh and definitely with the I'm in some ways more interested in the flashback storyline than I am in the contemporary storyline. Yeah. And uh and I did, I do agree that when they were and we'll get to it because we'll I do want to walk through some of these events in chronological order. That in episode three, when there is just a lot of like trudging around the snow, I was kind of like, like, couldn't this be tighter? <laughs> do we really need all these different, very similar scenes, right, one right after the other? So the setup of the show, just to get into it a little bit.
1: No, I've been derailing you. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh no, not, Let's at all. no not at
0: all. Get back on. I, I don't want to do a whole plot breakdown to be honest with you, but just to kind of in general terms, Darby is our main protagonist. She is a twenty-something. Uh, the actress is twenty-seven. They shot this like two years ago. I think this is accurately around her age, like mid-twenties.
1: I think in this last episode, they said she was twenty-four.
0: Twenty-four. I think the actress was probably twenty-five when she made this, but I think so. So it, I think it's close in the way it's re- re- referenced here. But there's a flashback element to the show where we see her investigating a serial killer. Theoretically, I guess she's like college age there, so maybe she was around twenty-one or twenty, something like that.
1: I was trying to put together a timeline, and I wasn't sure if she's in high school or college. I think at some point, they say that it's been six years since she saw Bill, so I thought that put her at 18 the last time She, she saw him.
0: That makes sense, actually, now that you say all that. I was trying to square the circle in my mind being like, well, she'd probably be college age, but you're absolutely correct because we find out that there is video of him or photographs of him with the Brit Marlin character, Lee. In 2018, which would be six years
1: oh, okay. in the past, I guess, yeah. in the
0: time. I, mean, I guess it would be five years. But five, I mean, regardless, right. she had still not seen him before then. So it's at least like five years. So yeah, she would be 18 or 19 yeah. years old, something like that. And
1: that one time she's in the class and texting with him, it feels like a high school class to me. Yeah,
0: that's a very good point. But it that's wouldn't a very good have
1: point. to be, but it feels true, that true. way to me. I think yeah. sometimes, this is kind of a tangent, I think sometimes when the characters have an older partner they try and make the person 18 just so that there are no issues <laughs> yes Do you know exactly. what I mean <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <Yep. laughs> I actually had the exact same thought in my mind that I'm like she does she could play even 16 in some of those scenes with like yeah. her 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 dad and I have to say that in her flashback I think that I find her in the contemporary times and it's also this probably austere setting She comes off as being a little cold, no pun intended. There (laughs) is almost like a little too little to her character in the contemporary timeline. And I really like her performance playing this younger version of herself. She has a very Mm -hmm. teenage vibe. I think she's actually doing an interesting thing there.
1: Yeah. I am wondering, and now I I really am off on a tangent, but I am wondering how much we'll learn about her whole backstory because there seems to be a lot going on there. That I don't know if we'll be told it or we'll be shown it, but I feel like, you know, I have a lot of questions about how she grew up.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I have a well, a possible theory, but we'll see. Maybe I'll save it because it could be spoilers inadvertently, because I don't know anything about the show, but I don't want to spoil <laughs> something big accidentally. <laughs> so she's become we at the beginning of the show, it looks like she's become somewhat famous, at least within these internet internet sleuthing circles, in having written a book where she pursued a serial killer, apparently. I don't know. We it's kind of left open as to whether they caught them, but at least tracked the, this person down, and um, this apparently has raised her profile enough where this billionaire called Andy, <laughs> what a name for a billionaire! Not not the most uh, <laughs> not what I would call my billionaire if I was writing a script, but hey, Andy, sure has he kind of gets together every year some annual thought leaders. Why this twenty-something-year-old girl is on the exactly. itinerary? is a big question mark, but I think intentionally so. I think that is one of the mysteries of the show to understand how they these more powerful people are trying to use this character. Uh, and also simultaneously, we, you know, like you mentioned already, we see her backstory. She's very adept at doing investigations. She grew up with a father who was a forensic examiner. He kind of trained her to be a detective and to think about mysteries in this way. And also, I think that there's a pretty charming romance that is being fleshed out in these flashbacks with, this character played by harris dickinson who plays um a character called bill another very exciting bill that character named bill but uh who uh also goes by the name fang which makes him kind of like a banksy or he's right. supposed to be some kind of banksy political type artist uh and this is very much like a manic pixie dream boy character which uh is by the way brit marlin in her scripts there's always this kind of ideal, you know, idealistic, really smart, very attractive character that, uh, you know, so it's kind of, you know, she flips the table, she gets to write her own scripts. She gets to use a cliche in the opposite direction. Hey, no problem. I don't have a problem with that. But I just calling out that that is kind of a motif in all of her uh, scripts as well. He's got some horrible hair, by the way.
1: (laughs) The haircut situation in this show between these two is really (laughs) rough. I don't love what she has going on in the past, but it's acceptable to me. Yes, Bill's hair... I uh, this is one of <laughs> like these a generation's very strange. The kids right? today situations yes, yes. for me. I mean this is just so unappealing. And then whatever she has going on now is fine except I don't know if it's the editing or whatever in the current day sometimes it's pink, sometimes it's purple, yeah. sometimes it looks more blonde. I I just don't understand there's no consistency in her hair color. But I can I can live with that too.
0: <laughs> oh, and I think that that is actually another bizarre motif with these showrunners and or and, you know the creators that they also have that it's almost as if if you took like a caricature of like you said the kids today if you almost took like a caricature of like this is how hipsters are dressing now like the characters in their shows <laughs> basically are almost almost stereotypically styled that way not that those people don't exist by the way like you, know, you go to brooklyn you definitely see people like this it's just a little on the nose in, in a way but
1: yeah for sure especially bill i think
0: but yes he's really like kind of like with the little t- the, the the almost not their tattoos on his face and everywhere it's just kind of a yeah stylistic choice they all have tattoos he has tattoos she has tattoos mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. the uh girl and boy tattoos
1: are- have become very popular so yes. that part yes, tracks definitely. for
0: sure so i think I'm, we mentioned this in the conversation or in text that i like the fact that the show will veer into like straight-up horror tone for example, where you don't know if she's being stalked by someone or if there's something supernatural going on, someone's communicating mm-hmm. with her, and then it turns out it's this AI assistant who is actually like one of my favorite characters in the show, I think. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it's interesting that they will basically allow the show to lean fully into horror, and then it, but there's nothing truly horror on, on the show. But I do enjoy that; it makes you know it 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 adds a little extra spice to what could be pretty slow uh, mystery, like you mentioned before.
1: Well, I really hope there's nothing supernatural because I always hope there's nothing supernatural, first of all. Also, I will add in the present day, the scenery is really interesting and fun. And like as a person who hates being cold, this is how I like to see the cold through the TV screen. You know, (laughs) it looks beautiful. And, you know, just the hotel and the high tech gadgetry of it, like all of that is just very appealing to me as a viewer to watch. Like it's just very interesting.
0: Yeah, I agree with all of that. So once again, just uh, for anybody who hasn't seen the show yet is using this as some kind of guide as to whether they've been interested or not. These group of people, esoteric and strange combination of specialists get flown out to this beautiful hotel in Iceland. I think it's actually shot in Iceland, I believe. I think very popularly there are these snowbound mystery novels, whether it's Smilla's Sense of Snow or The Girl to Dragon Tattoo. And uh, some of these other uh, very popular Nordic um, mystery novels of the past decade or so. And yeah, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Like just the the hotel rooms look right out onto these snowscapes. It's, it's really lovely.
1: Yeah, there are mountains and there are snowdrifts and there are cliffs. Yeah.
0: But an interesting choice in a way to make it almost very sparse because there are also, you've probably seen Icelandic vistas that are like rocky and have a lot of strange vegetation or something like that, like we've seen in... Um, what is that movie, Ex Machina, where that hotel is just incredible? And I think it's an actual place you can Airbnb. But this is like almost minimalist in a way, but in an interesting way, like you mentioned. I, I love the, look, the sight of like the mountain through their windows. Mm-hmm. So, a couple of things I thought were kind of interesting in the first episode was their use of music.
1: Great music. Sorry, I just got excited and sure. I interjected. <laughs> um, my no, cooperative no overlap. I have learned that's you know the phrase for when you interrupt someone, but not because you disagree <laughs> with them, but because you agree with them and you're just so excited. <laughs> I love Annie Lennox, and I thought this was yeah. a great use of that No More I Love You song.
0: Yeah. And uh, even before then, I thought it was really clever that in the opening scene, she's listening to the Doors song, The End, on her headphones, mm-hmm, and then you mm-hmm. think it's on the soundtrack, but then she turns off her iPod, so she's actually listened to it diegetically, and then Of course, the title we've just seen on the screen is The Myrtle at the End of the World. And then she walks in to do her reading and she says, I'm going to tell you this story. I'm going to start at the end, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm, there's a lot of mm -hmm. wittiness in the show, which by the way, the show in general does not seem playful, (laughs) but I do like the playfulness (laughs) of this idea, right? At least, which makes me want to, I mean, it invites you to play along, right? In a way, which I like, because I think in general, the show is pretty... Austere, <laughs> uh, very David Fincher-ish in, in its style, speaking of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, speaking of this difference between this very austere present day and definitely a warmer feeling of this romance um, in the past, I love this fight, and you already touched on it. I love this fight in the car that gets resolved by them, just like in real time listening to like new, No More I Love Yous all the way through.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: it's much more realistic than... <laughs> like how you actually get over a fight then to talk it all through. I thought it was really, really cool.
1: <laughs> Personal note that then it made me sad that I had never actually seen Annie Lennox perform in person. <laughs> and then I went on Ticketmaster to see if she happened to be touring. I think, she's touring she, so. I think she
0: will be touring soon if she's not touring. Oh, soon.
1: I'm going to look out for that then. You have a chance. You know, she may have, there's a chance she was at one of the Lilith fairs I went to really dating myself now, but I don't have a vivid memory of it. So I don't think so. But I also think, and the specifics are escaping me, but in the next episodes as well, I remember having the thought that the music is really well done in this show, even though I can't have a, I can't recall a specific reference to a song right now.
0: Yeah, I think that No More I Love You is, is definitely going to make some move some streams on that song. I think that's going to be a conversation point. Um, Although I do in general, like all the music, they played some Portishead, They played Tricky, which is like one of my favorite artists, but like definitely not a mainstream artist. Moody music, which of course sets the tone. Mm -hmm. This kind of culminates with them having a very Agatha Christie-like setup. And I think this would be my critique actually of the setup so far. I find the characters, you know, the reason that I think those Agatha Christie adaptations and maybe even in the writing of the novels, there's always this kind of like very melodramatic or very hammy. Introduction to the different characters. It's almost like mm-hmm. so you know who they are in shorthand later. And I think Ryan Johnson, I don't love that knives out Glass Onion films in general. I don't think they're as good as everybody says they are, but I do think he nails that you know who this character is within a second of of seeing them so that you mm-hmm. know why someone would want to kill them, what their motivation is, you know, whether you kind of like them or kind of hate them, so that, you know, when you they disappear for you know, great lengths of the story, they still kind of stick in your mind. And I don't think the show's done a good job of making me not only not care about these characters, like even understand like who they are, like what their motivations are. Uh, So yeah, I do hope the show does flesh that out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think if anything, so far, it's doing that very stereotypical thing of getting you attached to somebody just for them to die almost immediately after you learn something about them. Yeah, which is, you know, kind of a trope, I think, and, you know... (laughs) So maybe we'll learn about all the characters that way (laughs) as they die off one by one. I don't know.
0: And that's, speaking of people dying, that's what happens at the end of episode one. We see that Bill, of all people, you forgot to mention that Bill is there. He shows up, not on the plane with everybody else, but apparently he has already been there. Sits right across from Darby at the dinner that night. She's kind of shocked to see this. But then they kind of patch things up, and it's actually pretty sweet, their interactions. Mm -hmm. I I think they have very good chemistry, which I think is important for this show, by the way. Mm -hmm. She goes to... Meet up with him that night. She hears something in his room. She goes outside once again. All these rooms are like looking out onto the snow. So she loops outside of the building, can see him as he's basically dying inside. And he asks her not to leave, keep eye contact until he dies. She goes and grabs somebody, but it's too late. He's already passed away. We find out in episode two. And, and yeah, he's that's to set up
1: her that he has something important to tell her. Yes, so. exactly. Yes. We have that hanging out there of, you know, well, what was it that he thought was so important that he needed to share it? Exactly. Exactly. And by the way, also, I just want to mention, I really, I don't know if liked is the right word, but you know, in the, in the past timeline, when he leaves her, his message to her, you know, this is both too much and not enough. I thought was Mm -hmm. like very, I don't know, it, it stirred something in me. I thought it was nicely done. I think it's a very human feeling about a relationship, I think. It's too much and it's not enough.
0: Going back to the way they wrote the OA, part of the reason I was able to go through that show is because they really nail some things really well. Like, For example, the interactions in the car while they're listening to No More, I Love Yous. While so much of this show seems contrived, that really feels like something that happened to someone for real. Mm -hmm. and It feels like a real Mm -hmm. moment. And that note, like you said, is absolutely the same way. And you see how good that dynamic is, once again, in the flashback sequences, that he seems to be just kind of like he's a tourist. He just likes to Mm -hmm. solve mysteries. He's just having fun. And now it's like I'm writing this story myself, but I think that's what good writing does. It makes you fill in the blanks. I'm feeling like he's going deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole, but really to kind of be a little macho in front of her and to show his interest. And then he gets to like, whoa, this is getting way too far. Because in those flashback scenes, we see that they almost die, right? And he's just like, okay. Mm-hmm. And to the point of like that note, he leaves her. This is too much, like too much of an experience. And at the same time, she's never going to be the number one uh, concern mm-hmm. for, you know, in her, in her mind. So he, she he feels like this isn't enough, right? Like for me to sacrifice this much, is yes. this enough? I don't know if, he, but that's another thing that's very ambiguous. Maybe this will be fleshed out. But you'll assume if this was like six years earlier, five years earlier, and these people are in their twenties, that this guy couldn't have been like a world famous artist at this point, right? He must have been just, you know, baby artist at this point, right?
1: Uh, in the past, he, he's timeline? not Banksy.
0: In other words, he can't, Matt, he can't be no. Banksy. The time, right? in the flashbacks,
1: I it wasn't even clear to me that he was an artist already in the past timeline.
0: Right, that's what I mean. Like yeah. that all happened later, right?
1: See, that was my conclusion. Yes.
0: Not that that's explained, to be honest, but it is kind of a silly thing, right? That they just kind of hung out together and they solved this mystery together. And now he's Banksy and she's Elizabeth Salander or whatever her name was. It's like, I don't know. That's weird. (laughs) Don't really buy any of that. But hey, you know what? It's TV. It's okay. okay.
1: Yeah. It feels like maybe she introduced him to the idea of Lee and then he somehow- explored that further, and maybe she became a benefactor of some sort. I don't know. I'm really just pulling things out of the air here, though,
0: <laughs> and then in episode two, you know, she begins her investigation. I actually miss was so distrustful of everything that's going on in the show. At first, I was like, is he even dead? But then she sneaks into the room and his body's been laying there all day. So I assume he actually is dead. Lee comes in while he's while she's still in the room. and,
1: this girl is really good at pushing herself up against walls, by the way. She's really good at
0: hiding. <laughs> yeah, really. And being down, unobtrusive.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Unless it's a setup. Unless that's a setup, too. Maybe they knew she was in there. But mm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm over. I'm overanalyzing all of the, my uh, potential uh, uh, clues here. <clears throat> but I mean, hey, this is the type of show that wants you to do that.
1: Ray knows she was in there. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. When she confronts Lee about it later, I found it very strange. Lee basically has her hacking onto the network. This is a pretty relatively simple hack to to retrieve this password. The idea that when she tells her that, well, I couldn't get that password, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't even need to be a hacker. You could probably just, you know, find it in your husband's belongings or, you know, just look at the cached passwords on his computer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also really, really bad security in this place that they're using. The Nest is using the same Wi-Fi as like the security cameras. But it still made me think that is this all a setup? This seems to be a kind of a little simple and why can't Lee do these hacks herself? And if anything, the one big mystery made me wonder is, is this woman who's pretending to be Lee, this famous hacker, is she lying about who she is to get into the position she is in now?
1: That's so interesting because none of those questions occurred to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> I am just along for the ride here, I guess. I You make a good point about why Lee couldn't do it and Darby asks her, right? In right. She is did. in this yeah, last the show's episode, credit, they, right? call,
0: they call all yes. this stuff out, yeah.
1: I guess my conclusion was that it is a very sophisticated system, but Darby is just that brilliant that she can do it. (laughs) Right. But, you know, maybe that's not the right conclusion though.
0: Oh, I I would say it's not. By the way, just so you know, uh, the hack that she comes up with, she takes the, like a smart light bulb, she takes its data and there's an unencrypted password in there. (laughs) So it's like, it's it's not, not rocket science, it's like really like hacking 101, which is fine. If well, okay, but I would not Hotel. That. I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh no, but but the reason I bring that up though, that is actually a legitimate hack that you can very mm-hmm. easily do like at Joe Schmo Hotel. But you would think that Clive Owen's character yes. is going to have like very high security. You know, this guy's like Elon Musk or whatever. He's not going to just like have, you know, the security cameras, or shouldn't anyway, have the security cameras and the uh nest devices or whatever on the same network uh then again of course in our own personal home we probably have that set up exactly so uh warning to everybody out there use your guest uh, uh you know uh, wi-fi for the you know, <laughs> have, have two have two different wi-fi setups in your house don't let everybody onto your internal wi-fi And then there's a bit of a jump scare here when she finally gets access to those cameras and we see somebody with a mask on, which once again, there's like this kind of like element of what could this be? Turns out to not be horrific, but I do like the fact that it's constantly teasing us with this potential, these scares. And I think that's pretty much what happens in episode two primarily, right? Is there anything else that you-
1: I don't think this is a significant plot point or maybe it will be, but- I'm curious about why they've introduced this character of their little boy, Zoomer, which again, Mm -hmm. what's up with the name, but um, he has more of a role here than I would expect for a five and a half year old boy or however old he is. Mm -hmm. He says his age at one point, it's five something. Uh, So I'm just wondering if something's going to be developed relating to the kid somehow.
0: I totally agree. I actually have that in my notes also, that there's no way in episode two, they spend so much time. You have these Scenes where, like to your point, there's just a a long passage where the kid is just behaving and interacting with his parents, and she's just watching him. They make such a big deal about that kid. He's definitely going to pay off in some way. I have no theory on it either. I'm just like, he's befriending her in episode three. He lets her use Mm -hmm, his AR mm -hmm. headset, which seems to be like, I mean, this show doesn't have tons of special effects. That seems to be a relatively complex thing to introduce at this point. I assume it's going to be bigger in the show because why else even bother showing us that Augmented right. reality, POV. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they spent a lot of time with this kid. I have a feeling that it's going to be even more so in the future. I don't know how it's going to pay off them. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing, now that I'm doing the math, and that's just jumped to episode three, we find out that Lee and Bill knew each other. There seems to be some kind of sexual jealousy, potentially, from Andy's side. He's you know made some disparaging comments about his artwork as well on the internet, apparently. Mm-hmm. She apparently... Met up with Bill, in the, and he, she claims that he couldn't perform sexually when right. they, they tried to hook up and they decide to just be friends. But that's about six years ago. That would line up with this kid Interesting. being. Interesting. Hmm.
1: Uh, and he's
0: blonde haired, right? So, you know, usually dark hair is dominant. dominant. Gene, so yeah. the dad has dark hair. So why is this kid blonde? It's hmm. a question mark. Right Interesting. There. So that's a potential theory of that. Right. But of course, episode three, actually pretty eventful episode three compared to. At, at, at least in the context of this show. She sees this masked figure wandering off in the snow. She follows him. It's kind of a pretty creepy scene. She almost gets caught at one point. She identifies him by his shoes or notices his shoes.
1: Very tense.
0: Yes. Uh, every time I watch one of these movies, I'm like, I got to learn Morse code. <laughs> she uh, knows the Mor- Morse code. She's He's communicating with somebody in the distance.
1: And it's kind of uh, recalling that scene from earlier where... He spells out happy birthday to her with the flashing lights at the train station. Remember, she's on a bike, and he's talking to her. Yeah, and he's navigating her, and he brings her to this place, and um, it spells out happy birthday, Darby. And there's a woman saying this train station is cursed because the lights are flashing on and
0: off. Oh, yes. That's right. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, now I got it. Yes, yes, yes. It's interesting that they're Mm -hmm. seeing the Morse code thing now more than once. That is weird. I'm just... They've just made Morse code a very big deal in this show. All of a sudden, now that you made that reference, which I'd forgotten of, so I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm kind of uh, 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 what's up know, with dumb, all
1: the Morse code? I'm dumbstruck
0: references. now. I'm just like, wow, is this all going to be Morse code related, now?
1: <laughs> you know, it might have just been an establishing thing to show that she understands Morse code.
0: I know, but that that would be, I mean. A lot of people know Morse code. You didn't really need that establishing scene, but you know what? These aren't the subtlest filmmakers, my experience. So it is possible. I am hoping that it actually will pay off in some bigger way now that you've brought this up twice, because it seems a little (laughs) much to have to explain that, you know, via a a previous scene.
1: Fair, especially for a hacker. But what?
0: Yeah, especially for a hacker. Good point, because oftentimes they'll use that like different codes to 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 hide things in plain sight. So my question is this message that we turn out, turns out this is Rohan, eventually we find out um, because she identifies his shoes later on and he admits to it also. But the message he sends, which is one down, still a go. How did you read that? One down, I you think. You know, clear, I anyways.
1: I for a second wondered if maybe her Morse code is a little rusty and it was like one down, <laughs> eight to go or however many of
0: them are left. <laughs> right, and they're right. just going
1: to s- systematically kill them all off and she had misunderstood. But once the rest of the episode developed, it seems like, yes, it does say one down, still a go. And it just seems very like an impending doom kind of feeling to me. I I don't know. What do you think?
0: I thought the still a go thing was that the plan was still a go. I I agree, by the way, that when she right. first translated it, I'm like, what did she say? Like, Did I misunderstand what she said? And then yeah. she says it to him later. But then at the very end of the episode, he mentions that Bill had some plan and it was very clever. Of course, that's exactly when they cut us off <laughs> from discovering what that is. But that Bill apparently had some very clever plan to figure out what was going on at this compound or something. There was some revelation that he wanted to give him and that basically there was some scheme they were pulling uh, there collectively. And what I read that as is whoever else is involved with this is that it is one down, meaning that one of the people who are involved with this, obviously Bill, is no longer here, but still a go. I presume that means that the plan is still a go or that the conclave oh, is still a go. That's the other possibility, yes. right? That, yeah. uh, I'm that's
1: sorry, it. That's what all, was the other possibility?
0: Have. That That he might've been saying that for example, that the conclave itself was still a go. Like, for example, somebody died, but they could have canceled everything, right? I see. But no, it's still ongoing, basically.
1: No, I took it as the plan is still a go. And then I wondered if Bill was trying to include Darby in that when he said, come, I have something to tell you. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh,
1: Whatever that plan was, that he was going to share it with her and see if she wanted to be a part of it. That part, just speculation. But I agree with you that there's some bigger plan.
0: Well, we Happy. found out, right, that there were three cups of tea. She like right. into someone delivering tea the night before when they found the body. And uh, she was trying to find out how many cups of tea did he order. It turned out it was three. Turned out Rohan was this person. It wasn't nefarious. Basically, a confirmation that Rohan couldn't have been the killer from Andy. This is another thing that I do like about the show is that so much of what's happening, I'm like, how is this tech genius not aware of all this crap that's happening on his network? But of course, he knew. Andy basically confronts her and says, "I don't want you doing these investigations. I know you've seen the security camera. Uh, I know that that was Rohan at the door. But we mm-hmm. can monitor your body temperature, basically, which we actually see the right. AI do that, right? When she is almost yes. um, hypothermia earlier in the episode. Hypothermia, yeah. And theoretically, you would assume they would also know if there was more than one person in the room, right? Because you could, you know, if you're tracking a body, you probably know how many exactly." There are. And then, of course, three cups of coffee, which, of course, or I should say tea, one for Rohan and presumably one for uh, her since he had just invited her to the, his room. Right. So mm-hmm. she, of course, took that as like a romantic. Uh, and from right. Rohan's reaction, maybe he did as well. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so that's the other question I have for you. So Rohan confesses that he loved him. It's interesting because he seemed like so eager to meet up with him that night in him hiding his mask and. Talking about this plan, it seems like it wasn't for like a dalliance. It seemed like he was going knowing that this was part of this theory. But so, how did you read that? Do you think him and Rohan were intimate, or do you think this was just he just loved him and like because he like th- thought he rescued him from his addiction or whatever? What, what That's you, how what I did...
1: took it. The latter. Rohan came across to me as a very sensitive soul kind of person, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I felt like yes, he was just very bonded to him and very fond of him in a maybe a brotherly love way or a father son love way I don't know right. but yeah it seemed like you know they had been through a lot together and they meant a lot to each other but I didn't take it I personally didn't take it as romantic
0: cuz I started thinking to myself like what's the twist going to be he he supposedly hooked up with Lee maybe even the mother of the child obviously hooked up with we see it you know in the flashbacks yeah. hooked up with Darby no, <laughs> did he hook up with Rohan no, too? He slept like, with everybody. He slept with everybody here. Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully not. <laughs> mm-hmm. After the confrontation, and he, at first, Rohan's a little aggressive with her, but then mm-hmm. she kind of says, I know you loved him and owe it to him to figure this out. Rohan basically lays it all out there. No, this is what was happening. She figures out probably that she was the third conspirator here. And then, of course, Rohan. Has a heart attack, presumably. They did hint at the fact that he had a bad heart earlier in the episode and he did strain it. Yes. So he has a heart had a heart attack, or someone is once again making a murder, doing another murder, and it is making a murder. I like that. Phrase. Making a murder.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we got all the ingredients we need.
1: If you don't watch out, I'm going to make a murder.
0: <laughs> Someone's making a murder. <laughs> <laughs> do do you think Rohan was murdered by the way? I mean at this point I have to assume yes because of the show but right you could say that even if Bill was murdered and it seems to be the case that Rohan might have just had a heart attack. They kind of see that early I
1: mean when they were out on that Snow cliff together as kind of like, have you been medically cleared for this kind of activity because <laughs> exactly. you're at a high altitude? And, you know, it just seems like a bad idea to me, but I am not a cardiologist. I don't know. <laughs> right. So I think, yeah, it is possible that it was just all too much.
0: Okay. Now, the biggest question I have for you, so and Apparently, you would have said something about it if it was really a total turnoff to you when they the go mechanical to the ants or
1: whatever the heck that was. <laughs> yes, I did not the swarm get for robots. <laughs> yeah. Thank
0: I was you. just like, Oh, so does out. <laughs> she just quit the I show. Thought he
1: was taking them, I thought he was taking them there to see the beautiful vistas. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> when that look ended at my up beautiful swarm about, robots. Kind of... Let me just check out of this until they get back to the lodge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm like, oh boy, if they go deep into the swarm robot technology, Sona is not going (laughs) to stick with this show.
1: You know me very well. Yeah. I did not care for it.
0: (laughs) That was literally my reaction watching it today. I was like, oh, I think Sona's going to actually dig on this. Maybe it's a little too long for her episode to episode, but I think she's actually going to vibe with this. And then like, the swarm robot showed up. I'm like, oh, Sona Sona just turned the TV (laughs) off. She just rage quit this show. (laughs) Uh, I don't mind it. It's actual real technology that's being developed with this idea of like, you know, almost like a hive behavior where you just program robots to say, like, for example, build something and they just like, you know, mechanically do it and they work continuously. And anyway, it is probably the future of some of these technologies, but very surprising that that is the direction the show went and all of a sudden it'd be like, hive robots. (laughs) I'm like, what? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, after watching the OA, this is nothing. This is not this is not the kind of kookiness. But speaking of kookiness, that might still be forthcoming in the show. She mentions the fact that, and this is very much in line with the OA, for example, she can communicate with the dead. <laughs> what did you think about yeah. that revelation?
1: I thought originally she was just being a dramatic teenager, kind of. Yeah. Now it seems like there's her interpretation of what that means and. How they speak to her or whatever it is, but I don't know. I'm not much into it. How about you?
0: (laughs) My concern. I I like the fact they backpedaled it almost immediately, where she almost means it like metaphorically, like that she like picks up senses the way they died or something that you know. And and it almost felt like reading it that way because I did get worried there for a second because like the OA has to do with basically having near death experiences that allow you to travel through time. (laughs) So it's like, oh boy, let's not go there.
1: <laughs> I originally was kind of especially the way it was introduced with, you know, her first meeting with Bill. I was like, oh, she's just trying to hook him or impress him or, you know, right, right. seem interesting. But yeah, then I was kind of surprised when they returned to it after that. Yes, happily she does not see herself as a medium at least.
0: <laughs> not yet. <laughs> we'll see. Not yet. <laughs> You think the swarm robots are a problem. Wait till you find out she can communicate with the dead literally. <laughs> and another weird event this week um, in this third episode, I believe, was when she started seeing everybody wearing these masks. Now, the fact that she might just be feeling paranoid or something, that I could buy. But there's this really weird thing where she's like shaking her head and people are looking at her going like, what's happening? That seems like she's actually having some kind of episode there. So once again, I don't know if Duration. she's become an unreliable narrator in some ways, which of course- would be part of the mystery seeing most of the show through her eyes so I that would be a little too much for me. I think if they you know we can't even rely on her I, I think she needs to be our eyes and ears and you know the, there could be a lot of weirdness going on and everybody's real motives but I hopefully we get a pretty clear point of view character. I don't want to have her suddenly having psychedelic experiences all over the place
1: maybe they're dragging her <laughs> that is I mean, that is legitimately
0: possible right
1: oh gosh, what is it with Nicole Kidman? Nine, Nine Perfect Strangers. Maybe it's a Nine yeah. Perfect Strangers crossover right. <laughs> of some sort. Also, it could be that she's in a very stressful situation. She's sleep deprived. Yes. Her mm-hmm. body has been through a lot physically. I mean, I, I could see- Yeah, hypothermia you know, can give you
0: delusions too. So that, that could have been- Yeah. Awesome.
1: I, I could see it having a very logical explanation as well.
0: Yeah. It could also just be a little too much like the same thing with the Morse code, it's just telegraphing too much, like where what, what could have been done in one yeah. scene where she suddenly, someone turns around, she sees the mask, they turn around again and it's gone, was may, like maybe taken a step too far. And once right. again, that could just be like the taste of the filmmakers themselves. I just hope that it doesn't start to add too many additional weird ingredients to, to the plot. Cause I do think it's working well as a pretty straightforward murder mystery at this point.
1: Well, from what you've said about it being a pretty limited number of episodes, Hopefully, yeah. it's not going to go too far sideways, right? Because there just isn't enough time for it to do it,
0: hopefully. I'm very curious about the very last beat in this episode where the Clive Owen character, Andy, is basically like, uh-oh, we got two dead people here now.
1: Everyone in and the bunker.
0: Everybody in the bunker. So everybody's going to be like locked up together. So, I mean, in some ways, I think that really becomes literally like a closed room mystery, right? I think that would be interesting to see, especially if people keep dying, mm-hmm. Yes. Imagine just like a, it's like one of those murder mystery TV, I mean, uh, game nights where you turn the yes. lights off, you turn them on. Someone's dead every time.
1: <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. But yeah, I Definitely. think, uh, yeah, he was just minutes from throwing Darby out and now she's yep. going to be locked up together with them.
0: I did also unintentionally, I think, or maybe intentionally, maybe they're being playful about this. I did love the fact that like she's talking to Bill at one point and Bill's like, I have something really, really important to tell you. Meet me in my room in five minutes. Oh, I'm dead. Rohan's like, he had a really clever plan and it was all coming together. Let me tell you what it is. Oh! <laughs> like literally dying, like in the process of telling her. Like Every time someone's about to tell them, like spill it all out, they drop dead in front of her. But we will see. We'll see how many, I forget how many more guests there are. They're like so nondescript beyond like the kind of obvious ones. Maybe uh, seven episodes, maybe one person dies each episode. Who knows?
1: Yeah. I- it is really hard to kind of keep track of who all is there and right. what their things are. I mean, we know there's the doctor, and we know there's the yeah, we know there's the doctor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, Alice Braga is a astronaut. She walked on the moon. Apparently, as an alternate right, history right, of,
1: right, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Who's now like a climate activist or something? Who what is jo- Joan? Ch- I don't even remember what Joan. I Chen don't remember does for, for a living or whatever she. Uh,
1: I think she only has like one and then there's the guy who's reading her book on the plane. I don't remember what he does though. That guy. (laughs) Is an actor, maybe? Director? Producer?
0: Oh yes. Uh Yeah. This one that someone's like a filmmaker or something.
1: Yeah, somehow in the entertainment industry. So yeah,
0: that that wraps up episode three. I am enjoying it so far. I'm still still in there. Agree. You're committed. Let's Even see uh, what the robots? total
1: body count is. <laughs> I Let's see how many times we return Definitely. to the robotic stuff. The AI I can put up with because it's been in furtherance of the plot. And I mean, I assume this other thing is too somehow in furtherance of yeah. the plot. That is not a part of the plot I'm interested in.
0: You know, it's funny as I like the AI character so much here. I didn't even question the fact that you're like, oh, Sona's not gonna reject this character because, like you mentioned, it's almost like having like a Dr. Watson or something. Yeah. It's it's very clever to have the AI itself be a character here. And yeah. um and they're using it in a fun way. It's an interesting thing, also as a device in the show, because theoretically, the AI could be telling her the truth. This AI was developed by this billionaire. The AI might be leading her astray, like right, right. So Or it might be ratting her out, not even intentionally, right? Like he might be tracking whatever questions she asks to the AI or whatever, right? So it becomes like a whole other element in the plot potentially too. So I thought that was interesting. But I just like, like I'm just popping up and like helping her out when she needs some help. It's like a fun little like invisible um, Watson character to have with her. Yeah. Have that type of character without really having another character. I mean, it's an actual actor. It's kind of
1: fun. Yeah.
0: So let's watch another episode and uh, we'll we'll see what
1: happens. Yeah.
0: And I will uh, probably be putting out a separate episode with just a whole bunch of reviews of things I've watched. Most of them not great, to be honest.
1: It's been a bleak time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Enjoy your meals and family and such.
1: Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Bye Bye.
0: Talk to you soon.